In Mark chapter 16, Mark chapter 16, I know that it is uh, now December and we should be having Christmas messages. We're going to start at the other end of Jesus' life. Mark chapter 16, we'll uh, read it here in just a little bit. Um, let me kind of set up the uh, set up the stage here. Although I'm not one to uh, to look back a lot, uh, there are certainly some things in my life that I could have done differently if I knew then what I know now. After th- 34 years of marriage, <laughs> I got it. Yes. 34 years of marriage. I'm 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 grateful. For my marriage, I can't imagine being married to anybody else. Uh, I mean, if I had to get married again, I mean, how in the world would I, you know, have enough time to train her to where I've got Becky now? You know, I mean, that just couldn't. I wouldn't have enough time, right? Yeah. Oh, don't worry, I will pay for that later, as I deserve it. Yes. But as I look back, I know that there are many times in my life that I, 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 I certainly could have been a better husband. Um, I think Becky and I did a pretty good job raising our daughters, but knowing some things that I know now uh, that I didn't know back then, it's obvious that you know I would have done some things differently, and I could have been a much better father. Uh, as I look back over our, our our time in the ministry, if I look over you know some of my old sermons, which is a frightening thing for a pastor to do is to look over his old sermons. I kind of cringe at some of the things I taught and some of the things I did. And, and I realize that, that there too, without a doubt, there are some things I definitely could have done better to be a better pastor. Without a doubt though, my biggest regret in life, it, they revolve around the times when I have have not, you know, failed Becky, although that does break my heart, or my children, or even, you know, serving the Lord in the pastorate, but it, when I have failed God just as me, when those, those, those periods in my life where I, I, I didn't want anything to do with them when I was done, uh, the times when I've had opportunities to, to witness for him and, 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 and fear kept me from speaking up, uh, those times when I chose to deliberately sin, even though I knew that what I was about to do would be offensive to the God I said I loved. And what I wouldn't give for a second chance to go back and fix some of these things. But, but life does not often give you a second chance. I mean, well, maybe sometimes it does. Um, I'm pretty sure that, that most of you are, are like me in this regard. When, when you look back at your life and, and, and wish that you had a second chance to go back and, and, and make some different decisions, uh, maybe take some different courses of action in your life. And, and likely that's especially true when it comes to your relationship with God. I mean, if you, if you have never failed God, you're excused. You can go eat lunch, get, get in line first, all right? But if you're like me, you know, you've promised God that, that you'd do some things and you, and you didn't follow through. Um, if you've ever, ever promised to quit repeatedly engaging in some sin only to blow it repeatedly, if you've ever denied Jesus with your words or with, with your actions, 
If you've ever uh, disobeyed God by your lack of action, then, then you need the hope and encouragement that God wants to give us from this passage. If, you've, if, if you're weighed down by, by the guilt of your past sins and you feel like, well, I mean, I know I'm saved, but God could never forgive me for all the times I've failed him or, or that he could never use me because I've just kind of gone too far, then, then you need to hear what God wants to say to you through his word this morning. Since this is such an important idea for us to understand, I'm going to begin at the bottom line, and then uh, we'll use this passage of Scripture to develop that idea so that you see how it applies. But the bottom line is this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees that your failure does not have to be final. The times that that you fail God or fail your spouse, fail your kids, fail on the job, whatever the failure is, the resurrection is our guarantee that that does not have to be final. Each of the gospel writers gives a different viewpoint of the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, And this morning I want to look at Mark's account uh, because it provides us with a crucial piece of information that is not included in Matthew, Luke, or John. And after we read the account, I'll explain to you why it makes sense that that only Mark has these crucial words in it. So if you're in Mark chapter 16, let's uh, follow along. I'll I'll, I'll start at verse 1. I'm going to read down to verse 8. It says, And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome uh, had bought sweet spices that they uh, might come and anoint him. Uh, this is Jesus being being buried in the tomb. And uh, very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he said unto them, Be not affrighted. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way and tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. As he said unto you, in verse 8, And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed, neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now, if you take the time and you read all four accounts of the resurrection in the four Gospels, you'll note that there are some differences in the details of of the accounts. Uh, These differences actually give us a more confident and accurate picture of of what what took place there the four gospel writers all got their information from from of course god the holy spirit inspiring them but 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 god somehow filtered their own experiences and their own you know everybody notices different things you know and 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 the holy spirit allowed that uh they 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 saw the resurrection from different perspectives so while the foundational aspects of the resurrection are the same, or, 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 or at least very similar in the four accounts, uh, some of the details that are stressed are different than others. 
if the resurrection was some kind of myth, if it was a conspiracy, then the early church would have, would have seen to it that all four accounts agreed on every single detail. But because it was a real eyewitness account by real people, we find exactly what we would expect. Some variation among the four accounts, but no contradictions among the four accounts. Now, most scholars agree that Mark, who was not one of the apostles, uh, and therefore not an eyewitness to the events that are recorded in his, his gospel, probably got most of his, his, his information from Peter. So it's not surprising that Mark includes two words in his account that are not found in the other three. And, and I'll point those words out in just a minute. Now, since Jesus' body, remember, had been taken from the cross in a hurry, it was to be buried uh, by Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus in order to get it into the tomb before the beginning of the Sabbath that was going to happen just later that day. Uh, the body hadn't been properly prepared for burial the way it normally does, it's, you know, um, spices and all of that um, that they used to anoint the body. They'd forgotten, you know, as the ladies are going, this, this one important detail. Uh, we have, who's going to move that, that, that rock? Who's, who's, who's going to move the stone away for us? Um, but when they arrived they, at, at the tomb, they saw the stone had already been rolled away, and they were greeted by, by this young man, this angel dressed in a white robe, looked like a young man, uh, who's, who, who, you know, radiant, and, and the women were, and I, I like the way it's, uh, it, it's described, they were affrighted. <laughs> that, that's a euphemism scared out of their minds is kind of what that means okay uh they were scared out of their minds but he told the women not to be alarmed not to be affrighted because the body of jesus was not there because he had risen and the angel showed them the place where the body had had been laid and then then verse seven the angel instructs the women to go to tell the the disciples that Jesus was alive and that he was going to meet them in Galilee. And there in verse 7, we find two words that are only in the account of Mark. Look at verse 7. But go your way, tell his disciples, and there, and there they are, and Peter. All right. Tell the disciples and Peter, and he goeth before you into Galilee. Now, why does the angel single out Peter? I mean... He's just one of the disciples, right? I mean, I could understand if the angel had said, go tell the disciples and Herod. Go tell the disciples and Pontius Pilate. Go tell the disciples and, and the, the Jewish leaders that, that, that tried to crucify me, those involved in the sentencing of Jesus, carrying out the crucifixion. Yeah, I could understand that. But to be honest, that, that, that's who I think I would want to know that I was alive after they had just put me to death. I mean, I could even understand the angel said, go tell the disciples and John, because after all, John was the only one who remained with Jesus and Jesus' mother during the crucifixion. But why Peter? Why, why does he include Peter? Well, one could argue that no one needed to hear this good news more than Peter did. Over three years earlier, Peter had left his fishing business to follow this itinerant rabbi named Jesus, and 
Remember that most of the time uh, the people asked the rabbi if they could follow him. Jesus asked men to follow him specifically. That was done kind of backwards, uh, but, 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 but Peter followed, and he came to understand that Jesus was the promised Messiah, that he promised that he would, he would, he would never turn away from him. I mean, Peter, Peter says, no, the whole world can turn against you. Not me. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm your guy. I'm there. I'm sticking with you. Even if everybody else does, I will stay. But Peter had denied that he knew Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And Luke reveals that as Peter denied Jesus for the third time, Jesus turned and locked eyes with Peter. And, and and realizing what he had done, Peter broke down and he wept. So the next three days had to have been just miserable for Peter. I imagine that he had a hard time sleeping. He probably didn't feel like eating. There was, there was nothing that anybody could do to console him. But with those words, and Peter, everything changes. Those words meant that for Peter and for us, failure doesn't have to be final. It's significant that the angel uses his name Peter, which means the rock. Uh, he didn't use his given name, Simon. Uh, it seems to me that, that the message that Jesus is conveying to Peter through the angel is that though by his nature he is Simon, the one who denied Jesus, he is by grace Peter. He is still the rock. Now with these two words, and Peter, Jesus began the process of giving Peter a second chance and restoring him so that he could carry out the assignment Jesus was going to give him, and that was to feed his sheep. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul reveals that Jesus appeared to Peter alone by himself sometime before he appears to the rest of the disciples. And when Jesus had a conversation with Peter on the, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, uh, where he uh, really completed the process of Peter's restoration, and we'll look at that probably after Christmas, because it's, it's a fascinating account, that Peter's restoration was completed, and he receives his assignment to feed Jesus' sheep. Now, Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, none of that would have been possible. If Jesus had not risen from the grave, then, then I'm thinking that Peter would have wallowed away the rest of his life in grief and pity and despair. But the resurrection was his second chance. The resurrection was his guarantee that his failure didn't have to be final. And this applies to us. I'm confident in saying that at some point in our lives every single one of us have blown it with God maybe you've never done it quite to the extent that Peter did by explicitly denying Jesus but maybe maybe you have but I'm pretty sure that that all of us have let God down in various ways throughout our lives through the years and if it were possible 
we would go back and would do it different so that we didn't make that mistake, so we didn't perpetrate that failure. But these two words that the angel includes, and Peter, tell the disciples, and Peter reveal that in Jesus Christ, a second chance is possible. In fact, the Bible is account after account of second chances. I mean, you think about it, when it came time to choose a man to lead a nation out of slavery in Egypt, how many of us would have picked a stuttering murderer to do the job? But for 40 years, God prepared Moses for this second chance while he cared for his father-in-law's sheep on the backside of the desert. And who would have ever thought that a man who was consumed with lust could become a man after God's own heart and become the greatest king of Israel? But that's what happened when God gave David his second chance. So Peter is one more in a long line of people who receive a second chance from God and discovered that with God, failure does not have to be final. Even though the second chances are possible, it's not, it's not automatic. The Bible's filled with stories of people who were given a second chance, but who chose not to take advantage of that second chance. The rich young ruler was given the opportunity for a second chance, but he was unwilling to part with his wealth, so he went away sad and grieving and lost. Judas was given the opportunity for a second chance by Christ. He walked with Christ during Jesus' ministry. But, but when Jesus failed to live up to Judas' expectation of what the Messiah should be, then you know, he instead betrayed Jesus, ended up hanging himself. Pontius Pilate had the opportunity for a second chance, but while he regretted his part in the crucifixion of Christ, he never did what was needed to receive his second chance. So what's the difference? What's the difference between these three men and Peter? Even more relevant uh, for us, how do we make sure that we take advantage of the second chances that God's offering us so that we, we make sure that our failures aren't final? How do you and I make sure that we take the chances, the opportunities that God gives us? There's really only, only two things, point one and point two. Point one is you put your faith in Jesus alone. It must be in Jesus alone. We first see Peter declare his faith in Christ when Jesus took the disciples who, who you know, Jesus asked the disciples who, who they think he is. And, and, and Peter's the one, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. One of the greatest theological statements Peter ever made in his entire life. But right after that, we see that Peter certainly didn't have a complete understanding of what that meant because he rebukes Jesus when Jesus says that he has to go and be killed and then rise from the grave the third day. And, and, and you know, Peter's like, I don't think so. And what does Jesus do? Get thee behind me, Satan. He just made this huge theological statement and Jesus rebukes him harshly. He had an understanding, but it wasn't a complete understanding. 
By the time the disciples gather for the Passover meal the night before Jesus goes to the cross, Peter still doesn't understand the whole picture. But we know that Peter's faith is adequate to make sure that his failures aren't going to be final because when Peter asked Jesus to wash not just his feet, but everything, his head and all, his hands, and, 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 but, but, but Jesus tells him in, in John 13, 10, no, you're clean. You're taken care of. Now, I find Peter's story to be extremely encouraging because it reveals that putting our faith, our trust in Jesus, doesn't require a complete understanding of everything. Okay, you don't have to understand it all. But what it means, you know, I mean, how, how can you at the beginning understand everything it means to be a disciple or follower of Christ? I don't, I don't think you can. So, so don't, don't, don't wait until, oh, yeah, I've got this thing down, so now I can trust. No, that's, that's waiting way, way too long. I've, I've, I've seen it true in other people's lives. I know it's true in my life that when I first put my faith in Christ, I did not know Jesus nearly as well as I know him now, and I do not know him near well enough even now. I didn't understand what it means to be his disciple to the extent I do now, and I do not understand it now as I will in 10 or 20 years if the Lord should give me that long a life. All I really knew when I trusted Christ were the basics. I knew that I was a sinner who had violated God's holy standard of righteousness. I knew that God's justice demanded that there was a penalty that needed to be paid for my sins and that I was completely incapable of doing anything to pay that penalty myself except to spend an eternity in the lake of fire. I knew that Jesus took my sin upon himself, that he died on the cross to pay that penalty on my behalf, and that he rose from the dead to prove his victory over sin and death, and because he did that, he could offer me then eternal life. I knew that the way that I received that second chance, my forgiveness of sins uh, that, that he was given me was to put my faith in him my trust in him alone to save me then yield control of my life to him to repent of my sin and turn to Christ the the rich young ruler didn't do that Judas certainly didn't do that Pontius Pilate they never received their second chance because they were not willing to put their faith in Jesus alone but there's one more thing that they failed to do, and this is, this is point number two. Put your faith in Jesus alone. Number two is repent. We don't like that word, repent. It's one of those biblical words that we use in church. It is found in scripture. It's extremely important. It's not always easy to, to understand, to get your head around. It literally means to change your mind. When you repent, you change your mind. It conveys the idea of, of, of turning your mind away from yourself and turning your mind to God. But as the words used in the New Testament, it's always a change in your thinking and your belief that leads to a change in your behavior as these verses are going to show Matthew chapter 3 verse 8 where John the Baptist says bring forth therefore fruits meet or worthy or that show repentance 
in Acts 26 and verse 20, Paul is talking to King Agrippa, but it says, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, Jesus is speaking to the church at Ephesus. It says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Change your mind so it changes your behavior. The rich young ruler and, and Judas and Pontius Pilate, yeah, they were all sorry. They had regrets over what they had done, but they never came to place uh, to the place where, where that sorrow, that, that, that worldly sorrow turned to godly sorrow that led them to change their mind, that led them to change their behavior. Now, Peter, on the other hand, yeah, he, he got that. He did that. This once impetuous, impulsive, fly-off-the-handle, speak-before-he-thinks disciple had been restored by Jesus. He became the rock that Jesus told him he would be. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that is our guarantee that our failure does not have to be final it's the resurrection of jesus that guarantees that no matter how you may have failed god in the past no matter how egregious you think that failure is and there may be consequences for that failure but your failure isn't final because god is a god of second chances you 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 repent of that sin you turn from that sin and 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 you are as close to jesus as you want to be as we've seen this morning, that second chance is not guaranteed unless your faith is in Jesus alone and unless you repent. Now this morning, all of us here fit into one of two groups. There are some of us here this morning who have never put our faith in Jesus alone. Now maybe you're like me before I did that. I I just didn't know that I needed to do that, but if you've been listening carefully this morning, I think you'll understand the importance of putting your faith in Christ. Maybe you've never done that because you feel like you just don't understand everything that's involved, and you want to handle on it. You want to understand all that it means to be a disciple, but if that describes you, then I want to encourage you to do, do like I did and do like many here have done already, and trust Jesus to save you, knowing that that, that, that beginning relationship with Christ is just the beginning, that it's just the starting point. And if you can trust Jesus with the destiny of your eternal soul, then you can trust Jesus with your life tomorrow and the day after and the day after. That as you grow, your understanding of Jesus will become more clear. Some of you, though, have heard the good news and you may have understood it intellectually, but for some reason you've been uh, avoiding or putting off the decision to trust Christ to put your faith in him, to get saved, to have your sins forgiven. I, don't want, I want to invite you to put your faith in Jesus alone. You're, you're, you're not guaranteed another opportunity to reject Christ. 
Do you realize that? Scripture says today is the day of salvation. This may be the first time you've heard it. It may be the 10 millionth time you've heard it, but you're never guaranteed a second chance to reject Christ. Then the second group that is here this morning that consists of those of you who have already made this decision, you've already put your faith in Christ, you've already gotten saved, but perhaps there's still times in your life where you feel like Peter did, that, that, that something has happened and you've let God down and you feel like you have failed. And if that is true in your life, then, then it may very well be that you need to repent. You need to change your thinking, change your mind, and turn back to God. You need to take that rebellion or, or, or that sin or that failure before God and ask him to forgive you and to help you change your thinking and take whatever action you need to turn from that self and that self-pity and that self-loathing and that self-condemnation and turn back to God and allow him to restore you into fellowship with him and service for him. And then, like Peter... You need to move on with your life. Begin walking with the Lord again. Serving him again. Remember that scripture song, I mean, there's, there's, you're as close to Jesus as you want to be. Now let that sink in. You're as close to Jesus as you want to be. Because he is right there. All you got to do is open the door. You want a closer walk with Jesus? Then do it. Because he's right there. If you're not closer to Jesus, it's not his fault. If you've put your faith in Christ already, then maybe it's time to open the door. Walk closer with Christ. This our prayer this morning for all of us that that we leave encouraged, that we leave with a little more hope than we had when we walked in, that though we may have horribly failed God in the past, the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us the hope that Peter had. Your failure is not final. Let it sink in. Your failure is not final. God is not done with you. God has plans for you. And they are big, good plans. Tell his disciples and insert your name here that Jesus is risen. And he is our God of second chances. Stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed. As we go to the Lord in prayer this morning, say, Father, we want to thank you. Thank you for giving Peter this second chance. Thank you for singling him out and really singling us out. That you want us to know that you want restoration. You want reconciliation. 
that you want our relationship with you to be close and personal and intimate and empowering and joyful and freeing. So, Father, this morning we pray that your Spirit would do that work in us. We pray, Lord, for anyone here this morning that does not know Jesus as their Savior, that still stands before you condemned in their sin, that your Holy Spirit would convict them, convince them of their need for Christ and your willingness to forgive them if they but submit to you and call out to Jesus to save them from their sins. Lord, for those of us who are saved that have, uh, well, we've just messed up. We have failed. We feel like we have let you down. We've allowed sin into our life that has uh, hurt our relationship with you. Father, I pray that that still small voice would be unignorable as you lead us to repent and to turn back to you, that we can walk with you with joy and serve you with our whole heart. We thank you, Father, for your willingness through your Son to have relationship with us. And I pray, Father, that you work that relationship, that it be a joyful, forgiving relationship. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your songbooks. Uh, we're going to turn to number 84. Number 84 is Silent Night, but we're going to sing verse 3. Number 84 is Silent Night. We're going to sing verse 3.